You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? You know what I mean? Why did you a place like this? Money never sleeps, but I'll... You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine my head. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls, balls, balls. I'm falling, and I can't get up! All right, welcome to Money Never Sleeps, and it's good to be back. All right, we're going to be covering a lot more of the real estate arena in the coming uh, segments because as luxury and commercial real estate begins to boom or slide, it can give us some indication of uh, the money flow. So that uh, could be interesting. Uh, now to start off, uh, we've been hearing a lot about the inflow of Chinese, Russian, and even European money in the U.S. market over the past, I don't know, gazillion years, <laughs> both uh, luxury residential and commercial. But there is a new player in town, and it's our neighbors to the north. The latest trend hitting the U.S. is Canadian money flowing into U.S. assets. That's right, Canada. Now, it's hitting the warmer climates such as Florida and California, but as the supply dries up, that money has to be put to work somewhere. Uh, now, this is not going, this is not just uh, individuals that I'm talking about. I'm talking about private equity, the private equity market. With more and more private equity firms springing up globally, they're pulling on the purse strings of some of the wealthiest people in whatever country they're based out of. So uh, Canada is no different. And in Canada, you have big money burning a hole in the pockets of investors because beyond the stock market, they have a short supply of real estate assets that they can get their hands on. And it's funny... In Europe, you'll see properties that have been held by a family for generation upon generation. But here in the U.S., it's a it's a rarity because money talks and uh, how can I put it? Well, everything else <laughs> walks the dog. Um, so uh, look for more and more Canadian dollars to flow into to the U.S. real estate uh, market and to U.S. real estate assets. And there's a lot of money to be made if you're looking in the right place in the right places. So uh, it should be interesting. Now the Blackstone Group. Well, <laughs> what can I say about the Blackstone Group? Uh, look, if you're playing a video game, let me paint the picture. If you're playing a video game. Uh, they would be Pac-Man. And the little itty-bitty ghosts floating around, uh, they would be other private equity players in real estate and REITs. They have gobbled up, and I'm talking about devoured, a ton of residential assets over the past 18 months. And they are not limiting themselves to residential. Nah, not Blackstone. Uh, they are going after the big dogs and already inked a deal to acquire the shopping center assets of American Realty Capital Partners. But uh, this one has a bit of a twist. The Blackstone uh, Group, they did something that is a little more Wall Street than real estate. They partnered with New York-based DDR for this acquisition. But it's a 95-5% split. So 95% for Blackstone, 5% for uh, for DDR. 
But the point is that is that I think that they did this to avoid a potential outcry that they're dominating the space because they, I mean, out of all the, the private equity players out there, they probably have the most endless supply of cash on hand for them to do whatever they need to do. So as opposed to the outcry for them dominating the space and leaving little wiggle, little wiggle room for others to play in the sandbox, well, they're letting other other people uh, wet their beak, so to so to speak. Uh, I think this trend will continue, and it will continue to push commercial real estate commercial real estate rates. It'll continue to push them up, and sales prices up in the New York area. This is what I see happening. So stay tuned to uh, that, and just keep an eye out. Um, for uh for what's happening in your area especially if you're in new york uh now let's talk about fannie mae and freddie mac well these two lending institutions you know they were the biggest of the big and they rose from the ashes after they got stomped and kicked around they rose from the ashes like a phoenix only now to face the battle of a lifetime as banks are going head-to-head with them in the multi-family lending arena. That's right. They're not the only player in town. Now, the, the traditional banks, they're not just opening up their wallets and saying, hey, we're going to lend to you. They're doing this at rock-bottom rates for those that can, you know, that have the backing to do it. You know, you, you, you're, you're, a, uh, you're a good risk. They're, they're going to roll with you. And it's, this is going to make it hard for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to compete. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see where all of this winds up in the next 12 to 24 months as this trend continues. Now, for all you Hollywood buffs out there, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, look, if you have a spare $12.5 million in your back pocket, then you can be the proud owner of the house from the Tom Hanks movie, The Money Pit. So if you're up for a ride to Laddingtown, New York, and that is in Long Island, uh, just give the listing broker Sean Elliott of Sean Elliott Luxury Homes and Real Estate, actually Luxury Homes and Estates, give him a holler. Uh, he's sure to tell you the rich history of the 1898 house and how it uh, became a real-life money pit. There's a whole story behind that, people. Uh, now, moving to stocks. Two companies that I will tell you that are really, really up with the times uh, and technology and, and whatnot. Uh, look, Starbucks and Domino's. Believe it or not, these two companies have embraced technology there they dove right in at first starbucks has been implementing so much tech into their business model that it has is raising the bar in that arena and they're putting those pricey latte prices to some good use for their customers because now customers can come in they'll be able to charge their phone just by putting it on a, a counter and much, much more is going to be coming down the pike, I'm sure of it. Uh, Domino's right now, they're using technology to, to make it even easier for their customers to order. They added voice recognition to their online ordering model, which is really interesting. And it could be a game changer if it catches on. And there has been a ton of opinions, 
ton of views and flack that came from the Elon Musk announcement. Uh, if you, unless you were you're sleeping for the past week, uh, you would know that Elon Musk, he made an announcement that he's going to release all patents, well, not all, at least the ones for the electric car to the entire auto industry. All right. Now, some people thought he was crazy. Some people thought he was this, that. You know, Elon Musk said, you know what? If the board doesn't like it, they can fire me if they like to. You know, that's how adamant he was about doing this. But honestly, it was genius. Think about this. Who wants to go and build out all these electric stations throughout the country or throughout the world? Do you think Tesla wants to do it themselves? I don't think so. So the more people playing in the game, the more stations will offer electric boosting. And that, that allows Tesla, which is the best in class in that arena, to go national, shoot over time, go global with ease. And this may, you know, fix that issue with them uh, having um, having to be, you know, being able to sell directly to consumers, you know, maybe. I don't know. Um, you know, that, that that's a story yet to be told. Uh, and I think that uh, you're going to see, um, you're going to see more and more, more and more tech companies. You know, we're going to another segment here. I think you're going to see more and more tech companies coming to the forefront in an effort to disrupt what's out there now. Now, the problem with this is this. You have a lot of good companies that are coming out, good ideas. You know, I hate when people want to get paid for an idea they have, you know, implement it, create a company, do something with it. Uh, anyway, so you have these uh, innovative ideas. They're, they're turning them to companies and... They're going out there raising capital. And the problem that I see is not what they're doing or how they're looking to disrupt what's out there now because that's how growth happens. Uh, the problem that I see is that you have money flowing into the next big thing. But, and this is a big but, what the private equity investors and firms have done is that they make it much harder, believe it or not, much harder for companies that are outside of the valley bubble or the who do know to fund me deal to actually raise capital needed to make a difference. You have a lot of good companies out there that are banging their head on the wall trying to get funding for projects that they're doing that are really fantastic. And the issue is, is that the private equity players, they're looking at the companies that are brought to them by people they know, that are brought to them by, by you know, again, by people they know. Or if they if they know something that's going on in the valley or something like that, hey, they will go and approach them. All right, so it makes it easier for those type of companies to actually get funding. You know, look, let the truth be told, I founded a tech company, okay, that had the initial steps in social media. But the plan was so innovative, it was so grand, but so possible, and it was it was meant to do some good out there, but firm after firm after firm said no because look the company wasn't in that world, it wasn't in the world that they're used to. Now not been and they they didn't say no because they didn't like it, you know quite the opposite they liked it but 
It was one thing or another. Uh, you know, they were invested in similar companies. That was, that was a big thing. Uh, so it was a conflict of interest. However, you know, if the company was in the valley or the, the who do you know type of situation, it would have been easier to get, you know, these firms. And I'm not going to name names, but these firms actually pony up a couple of bucks to help the company get to where it needs to get to. Okay, but those same firms, they did go and fund companies that actually competed with major companies that they were heavily invested in. So that threw me off in a big way. You know, my, my point is we need to get an expert in raising capital for truly innovative companies on this show. Someone that won't look at the up for an upfront fee. Yeah, you know those, those type of scoundrels out there that are looking for money up front and don't do much. You know, but, you know, someone that actually believes in the projects that they work with. So if anyone knows of someone like that, if they know of anyone like that that does this, you know, please reach out to us. We not only would like to speak to them, we'd like to speak to the company, the companies that they're helping, and bring them on the show so that we can uh, speak about it because I think that these things need to be spoken about. All right, now talking about... Uh, tech make sure to follow some awesome people on twitter that know a thing or two about their business you know pete nigerian of cnbc's fast money and option monster the guy is a trading machine good good guy to to uh, follow on twitter uh john fort and carl Quintanilla. you know these are two guys that are on fire with cnbc squawk alley and they're tackling everything tech you know this is a new uh show that's that's going to get better and better and better and i said it i keep saying it that they need their own set high tech set with with uh with technology integration and the whole nine yards make it look you know futuristic that would be the set that would attract a lot of the young people to actually watch the show all right uh trish reagan you know bloomberg's tv she brings it fast and furious in the world of business and uh dolly lens of dolly lens real estate she is by far the top tomato in the world of luxury real estate you need a palace in the middle of the desert then she's the person that will make it happen so follow these great people and every week we're going to mention new people that you should be in touch with now with that said i want to get to our special guest today and we are going to talk about private equity so without further ado please welcome ario capital ceo John Donest to the show. John, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you very much, Lou, for having me, and I am glad to be back. Well, it's glad. I'm glad that you are back because you know we have a lot of stuff that we need to to kind of tackle. Well, um, we can. Uh... We can talk about a, a variety of different things within the private equity uh, world and uh, get everybody up to speed. Well, let's, let's rock and roll. Uh, you know, tell us what's going on in the world of private equity now. Well, we're we're seeing uh, a greater shift to an asset class that is becoming far more accepted in the world of alternative investments. Uh, in years prior, I think that the the lockup of your investment for five years was kind of shunned, um, you know, and, and really restricted because it was private investments uh, to a select 
group of people, um, but uh, today it is uh, recognized as more ac accepted asset class, and subsequently we are seeing a greater allocation to uh, different sectors within private equity, whether it be from real estate on out to technology, and um, uh, I think that uh, there, uh, not only is it a more accepted asset class, obviously the the IRRs are, are much greater than the equity markets uh, or the bond markets of today. Uh, so we're seeing uh, people like uh, Harvard's Endowment Fund that normally would allocate 20% uh, to alternatives, now allocating over 30% to alternatives, including private equity. That's interesting. And to me, that, that kind of signifies that... that uh, not only is it more acceptable, but uh, I believe it's more than that. I think that what they are saying is they see the writing on the wall to uh, a more tumultuous economic times, and, and subsequently they're they're preparing themselves for a greater alpha. So when the uh, markets do correct themselves, they're going to be in a better position. Okay, you know, and now th this is not just happening here in the states. This is more of an international thing at this point. That's correct. Okay. Now, where just just out of curiosity, because you have your fingers on the pulse of what's going on in private equity, where do you see a lot of the uh, the money flowing from? Well, a lot of money is flowing out of uh, of pensions in uh, into uh, registered investment advisors. There is a greater shift uh, of wealth going, and I've just written an article on my blog about that, and how uh, pensions are preparing themselves uh, for any type of restructuring, and Detroit is a prime example of having to restructure their pension plan, and they've stated that uh, Chicago is next, and also New York, Manhattan is, is following that, and if those guys don't work on restructuring those pensions, that... Uh, they're going to be in economic turmoil as well. Uh, but uh, people like CalPERS, I've seen uh, uh, distribute uh, money to various registered investment advisors to manage uh, a $500 million clean tech fund, for example, uh, for, for a company out of uh, uh, La Jolla. Uh, they've they've uh, been shifting some of that $300 billion or so, that AUM, into other areas of the marketplace to, to kind of mitigate that risk. You know, I, I always uh, look at where the money's flowing out of and where it's flowing into because it gives you a better idea of what can potentially happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Right, and I do see money shifting into gold also. Um, and, and I think that's a predictive index of... Uh, of the possible inflationary pressures. Um, I, I see uh, the government of India acquiring large quantities. I see Putin acquiring large quantities. I see the U.S. Federal Reserve acquiring large quantities. Uh, you know, I see Paulson and Soros also buying large quantities. And uh, uh, they, they predict by the year uh, 2016 we could see gold at 2400 an ounce. Well, I, I think, you know, I mean, you know what I see? You know, what I saw, I saw a Klondike. 
I saw Klondike the, uh, <laughs> I really did, honestly, I really did. Uh, it was about the gold rush. You know, and that, that's pretty much what we're looking at here. You know, you're talking about Klondike, you know, the Yukon type of, type of deal. You know, you have, you know, different, um, you know, um, different countries going out there and acquiring gold. You know, could gold go to 2400? It's possible. It's not going to be a straight run. That much I will tell you. And I, I stood to that. You know, I mean, you know, because gold, I, I remember gold when it was in the 300s. And right. it, it wasn't even worth it to pull it out of the ground. Right, right. But I also see a, a shift uh, in there's plenty of deal flow. And I think what's stimulating the deal flow in private equity is this current administration on uh, our part-time society in the jobs market. And, and so many small business owners, I think, are, are fed up with higher corporate taxes higher personal taxes, and now higher health care taxes, that they're selling out, taking golden parachutes, and parachuting out for 60 cents on the dollar of their companies. You see guys leaving Serbius, leaving Apollo, leaving Carlisle, leaving Bain, all these large firms starting their own PE firms, and my own attorney tells me that he feels like a kid in the candy store who he, all he does is structure PE funds, and he says, I see so much deal flow out there. It's, there's a plethora of, of deal flow, and there's no shortage of deal flow uh, in the uh, private equity markets. And he says, I don't see that stopping. No, you know what? He may he may not be wrong on that because uh, earlier in the show I was talking about private equity and real estate, and you know there's a, there's a, a lot of um, inflow coming in from Canada. You know, believe it or not. You know, into the uh, the real estate market, you know, because they, they, you know, when you have, you have wealthy people, when you have individuals, you know, I mean, they the, the guidance they're getting is whatever they're getting that's in front of them. When you have a group of wealthy individuals invested into one private equity fund, well, guess what? Now you have some power. You look at a company like Blackstone. You look at all these major, you know, private equity firms that have that are that are managing the money for some of the wealthiest people in the world. You know that says a lot because they're putting their trust in whoever they're dealing with. Right, and and I see also within my own industry, I've talked to KKR, and I've talked and I and I've also found out that. Um, a financial publisher uh, is getting into the capital raising business. Blackstone acquired Park Hill Group years ago. Um, so, you know, you got guys like KKR and other guys who are getting into the fundraising business. And I tell people, if it wasn't lucrative, you wouldn't see this phenomenon occurring. Mm. And what's interesting in my world is that these guys, the Blackstones of the world, they're not going after the Hundred million to five hundred million dollar funds, like I do. No, they're going after the billion to nine billion dollar funds, and they're they're working on thirty, forty funds a year. So they're raking in well in excess of eight hundred million a, a year in revenues for capital raising. So I, I tell people, you know, you don't have to invest in the next Snapchat to get a lucrative return. 
uh, on your investment, and all you have to do is look at the trends also within the financial service industry, and you'll see some pretty lucrative investments there. Well, and look, you're looking at Blackstone. I mean, KKR, look, anyone that knows KKR, they know that they do not move a finger if it's not making them money. And it's not going to make them money. I talked to money. George Roberts specifically, and George has said to me, he says, we get asked all the time by private equity firms to help them raise capital for their funds. And he said, this is why we're looking at your distribution channels uh, to, to raise capital and start our own capital raising division for these funds. George Roberts but, but is a no. legend in private equity. Exactly. The leverage buyout arena, uh, LBO. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I remember him with RJR Nabisco. Yep, yep. Him and Henry Kravis. <laughs> you know, these, these guys would not get into this uh, sector in, in within the private equity market if it, if indeed, if it wasn't lucrative. And and, uh, and I, I think also that serves as a gauge as to how much more accepted and, and how many more people are becoming involved and that a whole expansion. Last year, there was a 580 private equity funds alone, not venture capital, not hedge funds, just PE funds, that raised over $450 billion. Wow. Globally. That's staggering. $20 billion, $120 billion came from the U.S. alone. That's staggering. That, now, that's over a 33% increase uh, over the year before. Let me ask you a question, John, because, you know, since you are the authority in uh, private equity uh, fundraising, um, you have a lot of funds that are overseas, and you have a lot of, you know, U.S. funds that are going out there, and they're creating funds overseas, and they're raising money overseas. Do you think that do you, why do you think that is? Let me maybe that's the question. Why do you think that they're doing that? Well, you see a lot of uh, expansion in healthcare and, and uh, other sectors, and, I, and you're right. I see that in Canada. I see it in Europe. Uh, I'm looking at funds that are raising capital. There's a lot of mezzanine funds right now going on. There's also I see an increase in global timber funds uh, in the private equity sector. So besides the clean tech, I'm seeing that uh, uh, hard assets mm -hmm. also on the rise. Um, so I, I think that the, the economies are, are really looking at the sectors that are going to be, uh, you know, over the next few years that are going to be in favor uh, economically. And, uh, and I think that, you know, they're taking the, into consideration um, – what variables are going to happen? And, and as I mentioned uh, to you before the show, I think that that uh, as Yellen slows down this bond buying program, uh, she already did it the first quarter. She went from 85 billion down to like 60 billion, mm -hmm. and they said by the fourth quarter she's going to reduce it dramatically. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means 30 billion, 20 billion. A ten billion. I, I don't know what, but it, in my opinion, what that will signify is a correction in the equity markets and the bond markets. And you know, as we get a cold, the rest of the world gets the sniffles. Right. 
So I think that people are, might be looking at that as, as a way also to prepare themselves for uh, what they need to do over this next 12 months. No, they're, they're looking at what we're doing as they're gauging what they need to do. Correct. You know, which is which is definitely you know interesting. Um, so now mo moving forward. Okay, with Yellen, they're looking to, you know, exit that uh, the bond buying uh, situation. Um, do you think, do you think that that, you know, beyond the, the market correcting, do you think that that's going to have a positive or negative impact on private equity itself? A positive or neg a negative impact on, I'm sorry. Do you on, on private equity itself. Oh, I, I've told my wife, the silver lining in the gray cloud, honey, is that as this economy goes into some phase of correction, uh, you're going to see these portfolio managers look for that alpha, and they're going to search more over for private equity to make up that alpha. So the silver lining in the gray cloud is the transition is going to move away from the equity markets and bond markets and even greater into private equity. With private equity, you have, you could have more diversity. You, you do definitely do have a lot more buying power. Uh, you can do a lot more because private equity is not just, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, because I just want people to, to, to really know this. They're not just invested in stocks. They're invested broad-based, real estate, hard assets, commodities, this, that. You know, it can be anything that makes a buck. And that's what the difference is. And I tell people, if it wasn't for Mitt Romney, your kids would never be able to go to Staples and get discounted school supplies because of private equity and bank capital that took uh, Staples public from a private company. Uh, those are the type of pro progressions that you're going to see more of uh, within private equity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, of course, we need more of that small business growth. Because in recent articles, uh, matter of fact, from Forbes, they've described how business business deaths are now outnumbering business births. So according to U.S. Census, we've crossed the line. In 08, we had startups outpacing business failures by 100,000 per year. In the past six years, that's upside down. Now we have minus 70,000 business startups versus the uh, survivors. So it is is going into a, a phase where, you know, you're seeing this economic trend not progressing. They're, they're talking about unemployment numbers still at 13.9%. It's not anywhere at 6.7 or 6.8%. GDP is still below 2%. And they're saying over the past 60 years that even Bush's failed economic policies, as was stated by the current administration, his recession only lasted two and a half years. The past presidents of the last 60 years only lasted two and a half years on their recessionary times. This administration is now into its fifth, is five and a half years now, and the recession has not progressed. You know, and right now, what, what do you think would be, in your opinion, would be the solution? 
Well, I, I think that uh, instead of focusing on tax and spend infrastructure, we need to focus on, on cutting taxes for the small business. 98% of all businesses out there are small businesses. Only 2% employ more than 100%, 100 people or more uh, within uh, those businesses. So really the backbone of America is really built on small business. And if we were, we pay the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Nobody else charges a 35% corporate tax rate for small business plus state tax plus equipment tax. By the time you're done with all, and healthcare tax, you're up over 50%. Mm. Why do you think Pfizer wants to move to the UK? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at least uh, Tiger Woods was smart when he told Phil Mickelson, get out of California, stop paying 55% of your income tax in the state of California, and move to Florida. Florida is... And now Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins finally, the motivational speaker, finally left California and moved to Fort Lauderdale. Yep, and you have a lot of prominent people in Florida. In Florida, you know, look, I, I, I like what... Um, what uh, the governor is doing over there, he's trying to promote business in Florida. Okay, Rick Scott, he's trying to do that. And I think that it's just, I mean, I think it's great because of the, um, when you, when you, when you're starting up a business, you're not getting hit by every tax under the sun and it's hard for you to get your head above water. You need to be able there is to. There's no to, state tax. Right, there is no state tax. You know, and you have a lot of incentives. You have a lot of incentives. You know, you know the one thing, and I, and I spoke about it earlier in the show, earlier in the show, John, with uh, private equity. You know, you, were, you know, you mentioned startups. Okay, you know, I was talking about the tech industry, how a lot of private equity money has rolled into the tech industry. But it's interesting how, and in, and this is only with the tech industry. It's not with other industries. With the tech industry, if the it's like it's like who you know. And not what you do for that for them to fund you. It's 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 interesting. Right. Well, look at Snapchat. I mean, here's a company that hasn't made a dollar, and yet they were purchased for 19 billion by Facebook, and that's the new gold rush. No, that that's Out that's West. that's WhatsApp. WhatsApp was uh, yeah. purchased. Not WhatsApp. S- right. Snapchat. So, no, nobody's so, buying. Nobody's buying Snapchat. <laughs> well, so the whole the whole tech industry is the new. I like to call it the new gold rush mm-hmm. out west. Uh, you know, it, it's been replaced from mining for gold to mining for technology, and and um, all of these companies in Silicon Valley and, and, and other areas, people are willing to pay outrageous prices for these companies that are barely making money or or not making any money, and um, uh, they they uh, they're so enthralled with the, the prospect of mining for this gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, within technology, that they lose track of things like PE ratios. Well, I think that you know, with this sector, you you know, you really can't look at the PE. You have to look at the future of the company. You know, but I guess my point was is that you have private equity that you know they're you know they they're going Google <laughs> going Google Gaga for for tech, but it's only on a you know who who do you know that brought you to us situation it's not right. it's not right. a situation where right. you have you have a great product you have something great 
and they're interested in you. The only time that that happens if you're already out there and you got you, you got your footing. You have a lot of great companies out there that have innovative, disruptive ideas and and things to do, but they're not in the valley. They're not in the who who do you know that's going to introduce you to funds uh, type of situation, and they fall by the wayside, which is unfortunate. And you have companies oh, yeah, like uh, uh, Snapchat that you know get they, they get this crazy valuation. You know WhatsApp, as you said, they got purchased for 16 or 17 billion dollars. You know, and then you have other companies that are going to be uh, kind of like hitting, you know, the uh, the lotto. You know, because they got introduced by X Y Z, and that that's the way it's been. And it's I think that there has to be a change with that. Well, I've looked at uh, various venture capital firms to talk about growth capital and, and submitted. Uh, how our industry is growing and, and, uh, offered a very lucrative opportunity, uh, to participate in this industry. And, and, 99.9% uh, .9 of the venture capital firms that, that I spoke with are, uh, no, we don't, we don't deal with financial services. It's only technology. Well, that, that's interesting. But it's funny how these same private equity firms, uh, uh, funds and, you know, this, they are looking at tech, but they it's they they'll take in submissions, but you know in order for you to get their blessing or get their money, you know it has to be who do you know that I know? <laughs> right, sure. You know so sure. But, but it, it's like it, I mean just like anything else, you have a cycle uh, with things that are going to happen, um, and I think that you know at the end of the day, whatever cycle it is, what 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 you're doing, John, raising capital for private equity funds, that's not going to get stale. No, and, and we're, we have the niche is that we focus on the 100 million to 500 million uh, market that it's kicked to the curb by Blackstone, by Credit Suisse, by all those big guys who find those funds uh, not uh, attractive enough, not enough revenue. Um, and, and typically, and you're, you're seeing guys like Bob Giardelli left Servius or Service or whatever they call themselves, um, and uh, they're starting their own firms up. And, and that kind of guy who ran Chrysler once upon a time uh, no longer has the five-year track record in the PE markets. Uh, you know, he can't, with his new firm, go to Credit Suisse or Blackstone and get the funding for his. Um, uh, two hundred million dollar fund, uh, because he doesn't have a five year track record that those guys, with their distribution channels, uh, require with their investor mandates. Mm -hmm. So he's got to come to uh, a guy like me uh, to get funding, and I'm seeing more and more guys like that, from Apollo to Carlisle to Bain to you name it, uh, breaking away. Uh, really striking at this gold rush, which is called private equity. Yeah. And, and again, you know, when you, it's, in, in private equities, what have you done for me lately, or what have you done lately? And if you're if you don't have that track record, you know they're not looking at you. And it is just funny how once you start becoming that shining star, everybody wants to be your buddy. <laughs> right, right, right. But I tell them that. 
And I told several people that, that you're going to find an expensive lesson in private equity, which is not how, how many funds has the capital raising firm done uh, over the past several years, whatever, 5, 10, whatever number you want to use, one. Uh, it's are there LP investors the best fit for your type of fund? Are they geared towards making the investment in the first-time fund manager, you know, like my distribution channels are specifically geared toward the, uh, the registered investment advisory market, the fund of funds, the family offices, as well as the sovereign wealth funds. And these guys are ultra-high net worth individuals as well as institutions that kind of pride themselves on finding the next Bill Gates or the next uh, Michael Dell. And, uh, you know, they're more willing to invest in uh, those type of emerging managers that do have a previous track record elsewhere, but maybe don't have that track record with the firm they're at now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're much more receptive to investing in their fund one or fund two or fund three um, without that track record. Right. So, you know, I, I share with these these general partners, you know, you know, be very careful with who you choose as your fundraising partner uh, because some of these firms out there, and I won't mention names, when they get up into the stratosphere of, of raising 30 capital raises uh, up to 100 per year, it, and I've insulted many CEOs of private equity firms by telling them, no, not you, not you, John. You don't insult anyone. <laughs> well, I, I, I haven't realized I insulted them until after I said to them, <laughs> you know, it's inevitable. When you're doing 30 capital raises and you're boasting on your website that you do 32 or 40 capital raises, or some of the others say they've done 100 capital raises per year, that you're going to have duplicating, competing capital raises all targeting the same LP investors. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, no, 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 XYZ company would never do that. And I said, you're right. They've got 55 employees or they've got 100 employees, and that decision to support those costs of doing business will never take come into consideration when they're looking at a similar private equity real estate fund where maybe the underlying investments are slightly different. Maybe it boils down to just the incentives for the first close that differentiate the two funds. Mm. You know, or maybe there's energy funds that are similar to each other. But of course, you know, there's going to be a, a function in which one fund will be more received in the marketplace, better than the other fund, and these guys will tell you, you know, keep your britches on, we're XYZ big firm, bigger is better, we'll get you funded, don't worry. And to me, that's the difference between less is best versus uh, versus bigger is better. Right. And I'd much rather do business the the Giorgio Armani way versus the Walmart way. Right. You know, I mean, because if you if you can dedicate your time and your efforts and and everything you're doing to raising capital the right way for a for a fund. They're going to get the right investors. 
You know, and again, you know, private equity fund, who the managers are is what is important. What are they going to do with the money? How are they going to do it? Are they, are they going to be able to, I mean, again, you're not, you know, not all private equity. You're not looking to, to, uh, get a profit and, you know, it's not a day trade. You're not looking to get a profit in a day or in a week or in a month. It may take a couple of years for you to see that. But right. that's, that's I, the purpose told, of private uh, equity. You hold. I had a, a gentleman, I had a group of people in DC that I went to see, uh, who, who got some advice from their friends who are principals at a fund of funds. And they, all they focused on was track record. And I listed now on my website, on one of my pages, the variables that are important. It's the exit strategy. It's the underlying investment. It's, it's the, the, the management team. It, there are several variables that are important to GPs and LPs, or that should be important to GPs, that are important to LPs when they're making those investment choices, and it's not solely based on track record. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I told them you're, you're getting information that is, uh, is narrow and focused both geographically as well as in the marketplace, and, and I would not put all your money on the advice you get from a fund of funds because their scope is more limited because their investors are limited to the people who need that extra layer of risk mitigation, that extra layer of management, and not all institutions will subscribe to that philosophy. Mm -hmm. So not all LPs are on the same page as as, uh, people in fund of funds. Well, you know, so they're, they're two different animals, though. They're right. There's a there's a whole different ball game when it comes to raising capital for certain types of funds, and uh, it's like my brother says. He's a he's a lawyer out in Beverly Hills, and he says I I get guys who uh, their buddy their best friends are CPAs, and they'll come into my office and tell me my friend who's a CPA tells me this about the law. And that about the law, and he says, "Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're 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 going to recite the law to me, a lawyer, from your buddy who's a CPA." <laughs> and, he, and they say, "That's right. They're my friend. They they wouldn't steer me wrong." Ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Right. So so there is, you know, placement agents like myself, who who deal with the emerging manager market are a niche niche in themselves and and uh, and that's where we believe that the, the, the tremendous growth is going to be in the emerging manager markets and not in the billion to nine billion dollar fund market well look as I said early in the show and I've been saying it I, I mean all the times that we we've been on the show, you know, you have your fingers on the pulse of the private equity sector. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I think that it's going to get really interesting as the months go by. And I believe that with what you're doing, because keep in mind, you know, and our listeners should understand this too, is that at one point, all these private equity funds that you see out there, you know, they had to come to someone like you, John. For them to get their 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 funds before they turned into an Andreessen, before they turned into all these these other companies that actually blew up out of their investments in tech, 
Sequoia, things like that, companies like that. Right. You know, they had right. they had to get their start somewhere, and they raised capital using a placement manager as yourself, such as yourself. Well, and, it, and, it, and the bottom line, Lou, is it's far more cost-effective to subcontract out that capital raising to a placement agent like REO Capital than it is to build out an internal investor relations department. The cost factor is a multiple of three times greater than it would be to subcontract out that to a firm like mine. And also there is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, there's some tax deductibility. I'm not saying it's fully tax deductible, but, but because we charge a flat fee, mm-hmm. uh, there, and, and we're charging a fee, uh, there is some deductibility for that expense. It's an expense. You're paying a consultant to do X, Y, Z, so it is a Correct. corporate expense. Yes. Correct. So, so there is, uh, you know, there's a, I think a, a greater uh, tax deduction than there is uh, if you're you're building out that internal uh, IR team at your company and, and with the cost of training and recruiting and yeah, taxes, you, you don't have any depreci- you don't have depreciation on building out a, an IR team in a firm you're actually taking on a, an expense because you're talking about more space computers people this that health insurance you have to worry about disability B and, and everything you know it just trickles on and on so uh, hiring an independent like yourself is in my opinion probably the way to go well, I don't think that a lot of these firms would uh, subcontract out that that type of uh, work to uh, countries in, in India, China, uh, and the Philippines. And, and if it wasn't, um, you know, uh, up to cheaper to outsource that uh, that customer service or that type of uh, oh, uh, that, that would be bad. Call center. That would be bad. That would be bad. Just imagine you get a call from someone that can't even speak English, but then they're looking for your money. Oh my God! Well, you know, yeah, there, there, there has been uh, people that have called me from from India that uh, you know that were putting together a fund uh, that were was looking into a fund of funds or looking to direct investments, and and uh, you know I told them you're you're going to have a, a a tough sell on your hands. You can't, uh, you know, relay what you're trying to say. No one's going to bite unless you're doing it in the country in the language that you're doing it. So, yeah, I think you... Well, and, and also there's there's a, there's a reputation issue that... Uh, For sure. You know, that uh, India and other countries, uh, you know, have, have now, uh, you know, become um, lack of trusting because there are so many scams going on in those countries that it's really difficult to to know who the, the, the real investments are and who the fake ones are. Well, and Ed, I, I have a new word that I'm using now. Scoundrels. Yeah. <laughs> you have scoundrels all over the place. And and over there too, if you have if there's a lack of trust, no one's going to want to do business with you. If you have a lack of trust, I don't care if it's, you know, uh, private equity, don't care. If it's real estate, I don't care on either end of the coin. Whether If you're a private equity firm and you, you don't have trust from the people that invested in you, from the public, you're going to have, a, you're gonna have a, lo- a hard road. Same thing with real estate. People don't trust you. If you have a bad rep, 
you're going to have a, a hard way to go. Same thing with, you know, if you're on Wall Street, you have a bad rep, you're going to have a hard way to go. So, you know, reputation is important and, um, you know, good thing that your your rep is pristine, John. Well, and I, and I tell people, Lou, uh, it, it does not make sense for me uh, to take on a, a capital raise in which I'm not 150% certain that my LP investors are going to subscribe to it. I said, why would I damage my reputation over three or $400,000 in retainer fees? That would be ludicrous for me just to take on various projects just to, to, to take in the, the monthly retainer fees uh, and then fall shy of the ability to complete the project. Right. I mean, you, you don't you don't want that type of situation on your hands. It, it's not worth it uh, mm. for me to damage my reputation over three hundred thousand dollars. No, no, it isn't. You know, but John, uh, I, mean, I think that we went over a lot of things. It's I mean, your input is always you know uh, appreciated and valuable. Um, I know you're going to have a lot of things going on moving forward, and we're going to have you you know we we'll have you on weekly as we normally do. And uh, it's going to be fun, you know. But before we uh, we let you go, uh, why don't you let our listeners know how to find out more about REO Capital and just find out more about you? Right. If you go to www.reocapitalllc.com, and I advise the first place to stop is the blog. I've written uh, several articles about the economy, about uh, the capital raising within private equity, the growth of private equity, uh, and uh, there's some very pertinent information that uh, uh, I get from uh, reliable sources such as Prequin and Private Equity International um, that uh, also have their fingers on the pulse, and um, I like to educate people on what is going on and, and post those uh, articles so uh, that would be my first step. Excellent. Alright. Make sure you go to REOCapitalLLC.com find out more about John Dennis of REO Capital. John, thank you so much. Thanks, Lou. Alright, that was uh, informative and it's a wrap for this week. Make sure to co connect with me on Twitter and Megahoot and for any and all of your commercial real estate and luxury real estate needs, just go to my website, you know, which is my name and, you know, just connect. We have a team there that will assist you and we assist all our clients the best way that we can. All right, until next week, please make sure to follow me on Twitter and give me, you know, you, you have a uh, suggestion for a guest, definitely you know, let me know and put them in touch with me. All right, until next week, you know, I wish wish everyone a profitable week and uh, just keep rocking and rolling because life is good and a lot of good things going on as you see where the money flows and make sure you're, you're flowing in the right direction. Take care. You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine my head. You know what it takes to sell real estate? 
takes brass ball, ball, ball. I'm falling, and I can't get up. 